This is Matt Miller, and you're listening to KFMP Misery Point Radio. Wanderers to another life-changing edition of Misery Point Radio. I know I've been away for a bit and that has affected your ability to get on with your lives, but now we are here together again in the wasteland fighting the good fight and continuing on the perpetual quest to purge the airwaves of all that doth suck. And so today, my friends, as my way of saying thank you for keeping the faith, I am bringing you a conversation that has been a long time coming with an artist from right here in the Pacific Northwest that is doing amazing things to help us on this journey, blazing the trails towards the pearly gates of metal, if you will. Today's guest is Oregon Metal Ambassador Matt Miller, who has quickly chiseled himself into the stone tablets of Northwest musical lore with his legendary instrumental solo albums, as well as his epic releases featuring covers and renditions of some of the most cherished names in the history of metal. With a unique style that spans classical, shred, thrash, death, and fusion, Matt has gained a huge following across the globe, and his online profiles have amassed thousands of monthly listeners and earned him some amazing endorsements and opportunities. Matt and I shot the shit about his origin story, his work with bands, and of course the decision to branch out into the realm of solo artistry, which is not often a road that is successfully traveled in today's music scene, let alone in a scene that veers towards the heavier and more extreme end of the spectrum. And I suppose that's why I'm such a fan of Matt and his approach to music. It's because he's taking chances, constantly producing material, and working hard on his visibility. And as a result of that, he's emerged as a standout representative of the scene, even though he is a relative newcomer from a release standpoint. But don't let that fool you. This dude is definitely a force to be reckoned with, no doubt about it. So grab yourself a box of Voodoo Donuts to go with your overpriced organic fair trade Northwest coffee and check out this conversation with a legend in the making. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Glad we could uh, finally do this. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to uh, to finally be able to have this conversation. We've been talking about it for a while. I've been digging into your stuff. There's literally just an ass load of material that you put out there to the world, and it's it's got a pretty good variety, tons of different kinds of things going on, you know, some full band stuff, some instrumental stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk about this. But before we do that, I wanted to uh, share with you some history that I, I guess I could have mentioned to you while we were even off the air. But I was born in Salem, Oregon. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so I still have relatives uh, kind of in that general area all over the place. And so that's kind of a where my roots are. So when I had first heard about you and I heard that you were from Oregon, I was like, fuck yeah, dude, finally, another another Oregon boy. And, uh, we, you know, we're facing kind of a pretty awesome revitalization of the metal scene here in the Seattle area. And I guess yes. I was kind of curious if, uh, I guess, what is known as the Portland scene, but the greater Oregon scene as well. Are you guys kind of seeing that that same level of resurgence? Absolutely. And I think now more than ever, there's a hunger for live music. Because, you know, obviously coronavirus and this and that. So if you're in a band, now is the time to play. <laughs> Get out there. If you are really got material you're recording, release it. Now is the time. Yeah, you're right. People were definitely jonesing for stuff. And it was interesting. I, I've talked about this with a lot of people. But 
there was some crazy decisions to make. Obviously, bands couldn't play live anymore, and there was a lot of people that had material and albums written and ready to go, and then it became this, well, do I release this material and not be able to tour with it? Um, and hence, right. you know, not really be able to make the money because you don't really make the money just on album sales and things like that. And yeah. a lot of these bands survive solely off, you know, merch sales, at least if you're we're talking about bands that, that are right. established and have kind of been on the circuit for a while. But a lot of indie artists all of a sudden kind of came through the woodworks and they just recorded a bunch of stuff. And all of a sudden you had access to tons of new material. And so, uh, you know, I'm looking, in fact, at the timeline on on some of your releases, and I don't know how much of this was was COVID material, or at least putting work while you had that time off. But I mean, I'm looking at your your window of, you know, just a few short years, you have fucking solo albums out, cover albums out, all kinds of stuff just just blasting out there. So um, I guess I heard about you, it was, you know, a year or two ago, and, and I saw your stuff circulating on the socials. I mean, we probably belong to a million of the, the same right. same metal groups as well. Um, but uh, I thought it was cool because the first stuff I heard from you was solo material, and it kind of, your stuff in that sense reminds me of a combination of the old shred artists, you know, like your your Yngwie's and your Paul Gilbert's and stuff, but also like, you know, James Murphy and Devin Townsend and some of these guys who take a little bit more of the heavier influence. And I guess, I don't know if that's how you classify yourself as a solo artist, but that's really, those are the elements that I, I hear from you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do. Well, I think you pretty much summed it up. My as far as musical as far as musical style, like uh, definitely a throwback to all the '80s shrapnel guys, you know, like Paul Gilbert, Ingway, uh, Michelangelo, uh, Jason Becker, Greg Howe. I mean, all of them. And uh, you know, when I was a kid learning how to play guitar, there wasn't the internet was not a prevalent thing. You know, you just couldn't go on YouTube, right, and and have access to all this crazy stuff that's just awesome. So, like, I remember buying a Paul Gilbert VHS. At Guitar Center and Clackamas <laughs> when it first opened, and it was like eighty bucks or sixty bucks or whatever. I couldn't play anything out of that video for like two years. He's like, "Here it is, fast, you know. Here it is, slow." And it's like, "Okay, <laughs> it's the same." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put this away for a while. So then, you know, I started listening to like you know, young kid listening to like Maiden and Megadeth and Metallica and Slayer and Testament and all the great classic bands that we know, and just started getting to heavier and heavier music. And then, like during that era, I started getting into extreme metal because guitar wasn't really celebrated in popular music. And so once I started listening to more extreme music, then I found, uh, you know, other guitar players like James, you know, from the disincarnate stuff and then going oh. to like here in death, spiritual healing. And then, uh, you know, Paul Masvidal on human and uh, Bobby Cobley and, and all just death in general. And, uh, you know, then from death, it went to like atheist, you know, and cynic and all those other bands and, you know, and cannibal and on and on and on and on and on. So that's kind of like why my music has a heavier tinge to it, too, was that uh, I grew up on old school death metal. And I think even there's a bit of a black metal influence too, like the Devin Townsend stuff. Yeah, that's where that influence came from is like the symphonic stuff, like some of the Emperor tunes. And I'm a huge Jimmy Border fan. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where that influence came from. And then the technical I got into technical death metal and I still have some of those elements as well, where it's kind of like the the application of it being like the old school shredders the melodicism of like symphonic black metal or symphonic metal, the heaviness of old school death metal, and then the technical sensitivities of their sensibilities of, you know, technical death metal, like necrophages and obscure. I remember hearing obscure and necrophages when I was, you know, in my early twenties and I went, Whoa, this shit's crazy. This stuff's crazy. So 
you know, that's kind of where that all came from was just an amalgamation of everything. And I think that doing that, uh, or having those many different uh, faucets to everything allows, you know, that, uh, it, it's diverse. It's not just the same stuff. Like you turn on like a technical, technical death metal album and it's like consistently the same, you know, the songs all sound the same. If you put on like a brutal death metal album, it's the same. So it's kind of like, there's some diversity there because I try to find inspiration and I enjoy lots of different types of metal, not just like one thing or another. I, I think what I, what really stands out to me about, about your music, at least about your solo stuff is, you do kind of cover the gamut of styles and, you know, looking back to kind of, I guess the, the earlier part, uh, you know, where you see, you know, you've got, I'm looking at your stuff on your website right now, which is a fucking cool website, by the way, it's really, it's really eye catching. I really like the way that it's laid out. It's like simple and everything is right there. So it's, it's really well designed. Um, but you've got, I mean, you mentioned it like the nineties, right? Like for me, the late eighties, early to mid nineties is the heyday of metal for me. And so I'm looking at a lot of this stuff influentially and I'm seeing, you know, like at dawn, they sleep, which is a, a Slayer song that I absolutely love. That is not necessarily their most popular song. And then you've got, you know, bolt thrower, you've got cenotaph on there. Um, you've got, you know, uh, children of Bodom, uh, RIP, Alexi Leo uh lake bodom on there i mean just a testament over the wall just so many fucking cool things and so you've got like there's thrash on there there's death metal on there there's extreme metal i mean you've got fucking cannibal corpse on there you got suffocation just so many cool elements in there um and, and you've kind of really done justice to a lot of that stuff i mean when you were developing your style you know did you set out consciously and say I really like this stuff and I just want to do it just like this, or I want to just take elements and I, I want to blend all these genres together. Was that a conscious thing? I think that when I was like learning to play and, you know, progressing as a musician, I never had it in me to like learn people's music note for note. Right. So it was more like I wanted my stuff to sound like that. I mean, not necessarily like rip off the riffs or this and that, but I wanted it to, you know, it was a roadmap. Yeah. And then, um, so that's what kind of formed my style. And I've been writing songs ever started ever since I started playing guitar. I was always writing songs and they, you know, they were obviously influenced by other people, but you know, um, the, the, I always focused on having the songs be good, regardless if it was technical or crazy or heavy that there. And I think that's another thing that speaks to the diversity is that all those elements for me, like cannibal to death, to symphony X, you know, to, to iron maiden, all those different, you know, little pieces of what makes those bands killer. I tried to absorb that and put it in my own music. So you've got, uh, two basically, well, I, I guess you'd say three really, I guess, cover albums on, on the market right now, if you will, right. uh, decomposer and then <laughs> recomposer, which I love the spelling on that one, by the way. And I then guess. kind of more of the, uh, the eighties, which is a, you know, a tribute to basically, you know, Ozzy Van Halen and even a, even a cool Scorp song on there, which is not a very well known Scorp song, but, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just really awesome. Also, I wanted to point out that your cover art has a very almost Dan Seagrave kind of vibe to it. Who did a lot of those early, you know, entombed and, and, uh, dismember and all those guys. And I was, Dude. I saw that cover art and I'm like, man, that, that art is so badass. Who did that cover art? Uh, hand wrought art, oh. uh, does a great job. And, um, other people showed me his work and, uh, I was like, damn, that's awesome. It's affordable lead times. Very, uh, very short and he'll do custom artwork for you too. So shout out to hand wrought art does great stuff. If you need art, hit him up. 
Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I, I think that's cool. So you did some covers, but you've also got some original material. Now on your original stuff, you focus more kind of on the instrumental uh, side of it rather than, you know, and I haven't gone through everything song by song by song by song, but um, so the vocal stuff you've had on the covers, you've had some some guest appearances and yep. things like that. So um, who were some of the awesome people that you had a chance to work with uh, with some of those cover songs? Oh, so many people, and uh, they're all equally talented. Jonathan Zero from Pitch Black Mass, he did uh, Thousand Eyes, Death, and he also did on the new album, Only What the Light Allows, he did uh, Sodom's In War and Pieces, and it was great. Uh, Nick Superchi um, from WADA, he did uh, the vocals on Millennium King, Old Man's Child cover. Uh, let's see, who else? Joe Benson, who was in Morbid uh, Fascination, the band that I started a long time ago. He's all He was also in Spawn. He did... Um, a bunch of tunes like on recomposer that was like a tribute to old school death metal that whole album and uh, he performed on a lot of those songs tony revere done some work on those uh, that album as well and uh, even on the new one only what the light allows him and joe both did work on some of the songs um john hall did the priest tunes he also did some of the aussie covers uh, sebastian phoenix did the vocals on dire of a madman which turned out fantastic uh spencer tyler uh, from devil's architect did testament over the wall he also did uh, morning palace by demi Borger on the new album so, I mean, there's just so many people. Let's see. I can keep going. Uh, hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, we're, like, we're getting old. I'm sure you can't uh, spit <laughs> them all off the top of your head. Right. But, but everybody, thank you that helped me. I really do appreciate it. Rich Galvin also did Believer by Ozzy. Did a great job. Uh, Chris Olson, who sang for Morbid, also did the vocals on um, at, or, uh, what it, uh, at the Gates, uh, Blinded by Fear and Arch Enemy, uh, Enemy Within. So all, the, all those people that helped me, thank you very much. Yeah, that's awesome. Specifically, I, I wanted to call out with Over the Wall. That really took it to like a death metal level on that oh, interpretation. Yeah. And I was super stoked uh, because uh, The Legacy is one of my favorite albums of all time. Right. Absolutely love it. And that song is so iconic. And when I heard the music kind of kick in, I was like, okay, yeah, this is really badass. And then those vocals kicked in. Dude. And I was like, dude, that is just next level shit right there. Um, when I first so heard good. When I first heard Spencer's vocal tracks, I was like, holy, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I was like, this is, you know, literally make your uh, hairs on your arm stand up. And there were quite a few performances from other people that same reaction, but it was awesome. And uh, just the, the sneer of it all was cool. Like it was almost like a really angry, like Steve Souza, but just meaner. And just, you know what I mean? That kind of a vibe. Like it was like a black metal Steve Souza, if you will. And that's what it like. Just the ferocity was killer. And Spencer's an awesome black metal vocalist. And uh, it made it unique, and the vocals definitely put that over the top. For yeah, sure. yeah, Zetro is an angry dude, and um, I could just feel the kill the posers vibe, you know, wanting yes. to go and just take everybody out within that song. So, you know, Over the Wall definitely was great. I also really liked uh, your version of Hangar 18. Now, Thanks, man. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Megadeth. I mean, uh, there's songs that I, I could just fucking throw them out the window and never listen to them again. And then there's other songs that I, I absolutely love. And a lot of it has to do with, with Mustaine's delivery on his vocals. And I felt like the vocals uh, that uh, were provided for your version were fucking just killer. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, we were talking, you know, off the air a bit, but, um, you know, within the mind and a thousand eyes, since we talked about death, I, I do think that those are two of the best interpretations I've heard. And I've Thank heard you. a lot of death covers. So, um, so from a vocal standpoint, they're awesome, but also from, you know, a guitarist standpoint, because um, I, I play guitar as well, nowhere near 
as good as yourself uh, by any means. But uh, I feel like you do these covers, but they still don't seem like they're just note for note replications Never. to the T. I mean, there's definitely something <laughs> that makes it sound different. And, and so you've taken um, the, the core material and made it sound like it's your own. And so I, I assume that that was intentional. Oh yeah. And that goes back to the not being able to do things hundred percent like somebody else, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there were spots like in, um, on the new record, only with the light allows where, uh, I had changed some of the kick drum patterns and stuff like that. And, um, I just like even doing the guitars, I mean, notation's not reliable, yeah. you know? So it's just kind of like, you know, finding your own way to play the song. And, uh, when I tracked the solos and everything, I didn't track them like just once I tracked them, uh, twice and I panned them hard left and panned them hard. Right. And I think it made it seem a little, and that's how I record all my stuff anyway, but made it more a little, or made it a little more, uh, a little bit more sounding like me. You know what I mean? I didn't want, I did, wasn't never, I was never interested in being able to go, I can play this Paganini piece 100%. I mean, it'd be really <laughs> cool if I could, but I knew I couldn't do it, but I can make something out of it or, play it my way and it's still going to be all right. You know? Yeah. Do you record everything yourself? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, drums, are you machining those or do you got a kit set up in there somewhere? Well, let me tell you this. I program them. <laughs> I program them, but I don't let the computer do it for me. I actually go in and notate them note by note by note. And it makes, I, in my opinion, in my own head, it makes it have a little more street credit. But let me say this. I have put just as much effort into programming those drums than people that actually play a kit. So, well, what I was going to say is I really couldn't tell. I was like, Oh wow. I'm wondering because they sound so good. I was like, wow, Thank you, man. they're not just like super quantized and super, you know, I was like, I can't tell if there's a click involved. It seems like that maybe this part just is, it seems so natural. So, uh, so if you did program those all, then that's pretty fucking epic because, Thank uh, you, you know, that's, that's a lot of work to, to program drums, especially when there's time signature changes, that shit can get real hairy. Yeah. And oh, yeah. this kind of music, there's a lot of time signature changes well, for sure. And the time signature changes weren't that bad. It was the tempo changes. And that's, what's hard to program is that, but how I learned to program drums was I was recording the first morbid LP uh, back in 2015 and I got trigger finger in my fretting hand. So I'm like totally devastated. Can't play guitar for like two months, three months. So what do I do? I learn how to program drums. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what, this way, everything will be cool and I'll never have to like rely on anybody ever again. I'll be able to have a, at least if I'm in a band, I can make full demos where there's, you know, work is being done because how many times have people been in bands where it's like, it's really fun to play with people and it's really cool but like it just kind of hits a wall where you're everybody's like relying on each other unless you have like-minded people it's tough to uh move forward so that's kind of where all this stuff started from was having to go you know what i want to do something i'm tired of waiting around for it i need to do it myself and just get it done yeah in fact i'm I'm glad that you brought that uh up i, I want to touch on some some more recording stuff in a second but since you mentioned it so uh, you know, morbid fascination and was the other uh, chasm of discord. Correct? Yes. Um, yeah. So you do the solo artist thing, but you also are involved in in the band thing. So are those two bands still active? Uh, chasm will be. Um, uh, we want a tour. We want to play shows, everything like that. We want to find another member or two other members. We need a bass player, and another guitar player. But Mar Lord Marco on drums, Tony on vocals. And, um, you know, that's my main project now. And in all honesty, 
the songs from the Chasm record were was supposed to be a Morbid Fascination record, and it just wasn't happening. Uh, you know, coronavirus hit. You know, um, I really consciously tried to bring things to the next level on that record and uh, put a lot of effort into it. And it just kind of seemed like in the band context, for whatever reason, it just I'm not going to say people weren't interested, but it was going to take a higher level of commitment than we what we had at the time because life. And that's not a personal thing. That's just an environmental thing, if you if you will. Yeah. And so I went. And I recorded everything. There's a version of it with me doing like whisper tracks with all the vocals on them. There's program drums. And um, originally we had, I had another vocalist that was going to help, but um, just didn't pan out for whatever reason that may be. And uh, so I went to Marco and asked him if he wanted to play drums and Marco was kind enough to play drums on it. So we re- he recorded the drum tracks and uh, sent them back to me, mixed it and needed a singer. And Tony did such a good job on recomposer. I reached out to him and say, Hey, would you be willing to, you know, do your, do the vocals on this. And he was like, hell yeah, do, or, yeah, all, all for it. And so that's how it came to be. And people have asked me, how come that record hasn't been released? Well, we hit a snag with the mastering part, the person that was supposed to perform the mastering. Oh yes. Which we talked about off air. Correct. Right. But and we're so, going to, we're going to keep that secret for now. Right. So it took it. Uh, so we had to, you know, a year went by and we had to move on and we had Jamie King who did uh abiotics record scale, the summit. He mastered it. I love Jamie King. He's a, he's a good friend of the show. Yeah. He's an awesome person and a talented producer, mixer, engineer, and a mastering dude and uh grateful for his services. So that record's done. It's being shopped right now. So uh, we really wanted to get it out there, but um, we've had really positive feedback from industry people. It's just a matter of finding the home for it. Yeah. But as far as morbid fascination is concerned, I'll probably do another morbid album down the road, but at this point, um, it just, unfortunately it's, it's, I just kind of want to move on from doing that. I put, you know, Ben's band's been around for almost 10 years now. You know, I put a lot of effort into it and uh, it just seemed like the harder that I tried to push forward, the more resistance I got. So I ended up not playing with, you know, doing an album by myself essentially. And it turned out really good and I'm proud of it, but you know, that band is just pretty much at this point on permanent hiatus as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, and then you look at what you're doing now, in essence, you are doing everything yourself. And so you do have this opportunity to kind of make a name as a solo artist, which to be honest with you, I don't think there are enough solo artists that do kind of more of the extreme metal. So I think it's a, it's a welcome thing into the scene. And so that being said, it's time for us to take a quick break. But don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we're going to deep dive into Matt's recording process, nerd out on all of his sweet gear and endorsements, and discuss his upcoming new albums and tour. In the meantime, from his 2021 cover album, Decomposer, check out Matt Miller and this absolutely epic cover of Death's 1,000 Eyes.
As far as your, I guess, recording process. Um, so what are you, uh, gear wise, I see the ESP behind you. Um, now is that an NV? Is that a, is that an artist yes. model? Because, uh, I, I noticed the fretboard is different, uh, than the standard NV. So, right. I, and, and you're, you're, uh, you're endorsed, uh, with Kaler and EMGs now. So tell me about right. that axe because I'm, I'm fucking stoked when I look at that axe. I, I got a chubby. I'm not going to lie. Man, I don't blame you because. As I've had a lot of high-end USA made or custom shop Vs, and that's the best one I've ever had. And uh, I got it from Kyle from Vitriol. Okay. We swapped. I traded him a King V for it. Okay. So we met at a Sherry's parking lot in Kelso. <laughs> I drove from Salem. He was coming down from Seattle, and we swapped there. And right on, dude. Cool, cool. And we went our separate ways. But uh, that guitar, um, it's in my opinion, it seems like it's the same one that John Gallagher from uh, Dying Fetus played. Okay. And also guy from uh, suffocation. It's the same exact guitar as that. And I like the inlays and I think they're real cool. I, they're kind of gaudy for my taste. I'm more of a less is more kind of guy, yeah. but I tell you what makes that guitar awesome is Kaler number one EMGs. I've always been a fan of, but the neck joint where the neck and the body where the contour of the body meets the neck on a Jackson, you're looking at the 17th fret or 18th fret. Right. I think where you're, you know, you get up there and I'm a big dude. So I'm like already fighting myself. So it's like I'm up there playing and I'm hitting the body already, man. And it makes it tough. Can't, it can be done, but that thing, the body joints at like the 21st fret or the contour. So it's like, you have all that access and even, even it being a 25 and a half inch scale guitar, it feels longer. Cause when I played the arrow, it's a 25 and a half inch scale too, but the, uh, the neck just seems shorter because the body's shorter. It's like, it's set further into the body. So there's a little bit of a learning curve. But anyway, the NV is a really killer guitar and um, couldn't be more proud to own it. Yeah, that's uh, that's badass. So the uh, since we're talking about ESPs, because I've been an ESP guy for a while, although uh, I had to downsize due to financial stuff a while back. But um, there's just like the Gibson Epiphone kind of thing. There's the ESP LTD thing. And I have always been on the record and say that a lot of those LTDs are better product than some of the ESPs. Um, not always, but in a lot of cases, you're getting the same material. You're yep. getting, uh, and, and if you choose your own electronics, of course. So depending right. on how you want it set up, you can get a killer setup guitar for literally a third of the cost of even just a standard issue ESP these days. Absolutely. And um, 
a good guitar is a good guitar, whether yeah. it costs three thousand dollars or three hundred bucks. I played, I have played more four hundred dollar guitars that are better than four thousand dollar guitars. Right. And I would take a, a EC one thousand LTD EC one thousand over any Les Paul Custom any day of the week. Yeah. More frets, better hardware, better pickups. It looks cooler. It's lighter. You know, even though Gibson weight relieves their guitars, they drill holes in them. I'm sure we've all seen that video on YouTube. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so ESP, LTD, and LTDs are good guitars. I think that, you know, that's what I'm taking on the road. The NV staying home. I'm taking the Arrow, man, because it's a, it, it may not be the NV, but it's, you know, better than most of the other Vs I've ever played and most better than most of my own. And that being said, if you're looking to buy a mid-price guitar, LTD is the way to go. And I think that there's other brands that make guitars in the same price range but they're not as good and whatever they're doing to cut costs and this and that ltd in my opinion is probably the best touring and mid mid price guitar you can get dude you heard that esp you can uh send two endorsement checks over to uh, matt miller and mike peacock yes for the, uh, for the plugs here on the show <laughs> absolutely so PayPal. Uh... <laughs> need that money for touring now yeah i'm uh getting tired of mac and cheese and top ramen so throw me a few dude. extra bucks Right, so, exactly. uh, now as far as your recording rig, then, you know, what, what are you, are you, uh, DI in your guitars? Are you mic yeah. Are you going the Kemper route? What's going on there? Well, so my setup is really, really basic. And, uh, I don't know if you guys can see it, but there's a computer over there on the table on that desk. And that is what I recorded every single album on is that little computer, man. So I had basic stuff. I had a couple of Rocket 5s studio monitors. But anyway, as far as amp or amps or anything is concerned, positive grid bias amp mini used with a DI into a Focusrite uh, freaking um, interface and then Reaper. And that's it. And I don't use any plugins. I mean, I use like an EQ. I run it through like a Waves SSL plugin and uh, Waves uh CLA blue channel compressor. So really basic stuff. Um, I remember growing up recording with like cool edit pro. Yeah. Cool. And, edit uh, pro, man, that's, that's throwing it kid. back. Yeah. I was like 13, 14 years old and, uh, I would be writing songs. They weren't great or anything, but I, you know, so I, you know, record, record, uh, stuff on there. And, uh, you know, I figured out how to play drums on a Casio keyboard, just like hitting the keys. And like, I do like one, track of like kick drums is going or it wasn't in time but i tried my best and then i would do like the cymbals and stuff on separate tracks so i've been recording music since i've been playing guitar for like a couple of years and um just really basic stuff but that's it i tried i would if i had it my way of course i'd use a real amp or i would you know do all that kind of stuff but i don't have i mean i could but i what i have is working for me man and like the it's not doesn't sound terrible so i'm happy with it and uh freaking this i have a power metal album i'm working on right now and it's all it's done except for maybe a few more guitar things and some clean vocals because this album's going to have clean vocals and i don't know if it's going to be released as a matt miller album or if it's going to be released as another project but i want some like you know some dosque bruce dickinson power wolf you know ah, you know that like gene hoglin said the invisible the invisible orange lo, uh, vocals yeah i want that you know i want some killer clean vocals so on that album, I use the neural stuff and I like it and I'm still kind of getting used to it, but I like the idea of being able to change it after I record it. That's pretty huge. Yeah. That the reamping and everything like that, that's, yeah. that's fucking cool. Um, that's, that's way too highbrow for me. Um, I'm not smart enough to work that kind of stuff, but, um, Dude, I'm intrigued by it. It's it's in there. And let me say this, there is like, you go to YouTube and you watch videos of people doing stuff. And all of a sudden they have this amazing tone of just do this, just do, there is something these people aren't telling us. Right. Because I have scratched my head going, Mine still sounds like crap. 
<laughs> I did exactly, you know, it's something else. I even downloaded their tone profile and something doesn't sound right. I don't have, you know, my guitar's got new strings and a brand new nine volt battery. There's something, there's a disconnect somewhere. So um, I'm still learning too, and it's crazy. And I, I don't know if uh, um, plugins will ever be better than the actual amps, but just like drums, who has a drum room? readily yeah. available to record drums. I mean, record the drums, people playing them and then take them and replace this, you know, add samples to them because it's going to sound the best. So it's just a matter of convenience, but yeah, there's a huge learning curve to all that stuff, man. And I'm still figuring it out too. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, at the tail end of me, um, kind of getting out of, of playing shows was kind of right when all that stuff, I mean, that was when line six was people were like, Oh my God, line six, what are you guys doing? You can't model that stuff. Right. And right. then now, everything has just gotten so, so crazy. You know, Kemper is owning the world right now on Axe FX and some of those, but, right. uh, you know, uh, tube amps, I think people taking tube amps on the road. Why? I mean, at this point, exactly. it's, it's just fucking, they weigh 3000 pounds. Dude. They're fucking always breaking on you. Um, you gotta bring more than one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I just retubed a Mesa 290 power amp and oh, then, nice. and then promptly I fucking sold it. I'm like, I'm done with this thing. And yeah. I mean, it weighed 150 pounds. It has nine fucking tubes in it. It was like $400 to retube it. And I'm like, and then all, you know, all you do is you bump it and those fucking things. Yep. It's just crazy. You know, it's and over, man. I don't even yeah. tour. I don't even take it anywhere. I was just moving Dude. it out of my living room from, yeah. from here to there. And I was like, Oh, I broke a tube. And then, you know, Ugh. Right. And then if you and have your back match, hurts. Yeah, and your back hurts. We're like old men here. And if you have yeah. like matched sets, then you got one that's out of bias. Right. Oh, what a fucking pain in the ass. And those exactly. old amps don't have bias switches or anything. You can't right. just, you know, you got to take it somewhere anyways. We're fucking rabbit hole. But um uh, dude, well, when I go, when I'm when I hitting the road here in June, I'm taking a pause. My rack is really simple. I don't use any delay, reverb or course or any effects on anything. And so I'm taking my my rack consists of a power conditioner a line or a di rack mount di right a line six wireless uh trend receiver and then i have a positive grid uh rack and that is it i'm not bringing a cabinet i'm going direct into the board into the pa i think that if you're you know if and it's like even like if you're like the local cover band or bar band you don't need to bring your full stack to the gig you know <laughs> you know what i mean that's it's like, assuming it, that's assuming that you're you're working with the sound guy that has a fucking clue which most of True. them do yeah you know you know bring your 212 combo it's gonna be fine i promise <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like the less stuff you have to move the better it is and i think that you know the days of like you know the flight cases or the road cases like with the cabinet and the head and the rack in it unless you have like a crew with you have fun moving all that stuff man or you're playing like one show a month you know have your buddies help you right on you know you have two bass drums in your drum kit you know you're bringing the two ampeg svt4 pro uh 810 cabinets you know you got two right on dude it's woodstock but i think in a practical application the less stuff you have to bring the better man. yeah absolutely plus then you know your singer doesn't really have to uh, break their fingernails helping you load your gear right that, right? <laughs> right they could they could hold the door open for the drummer <laughs> no i got that bro <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm networking with people i mean we've heard all i mean yeah there's a million cliches can somebody singers. help me with my wireless mic right <laughs> just put it you in your batteries? pocket dude <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah well uh, i touched on it a second ago but um so you are an official kaler artist and an yes. official emg artist uh, tell yes. me about that a little bit um kaler i had a gibson v a tribal v it looked like the carrie king one kind of was snow white had the tribal thing on it whatever it was cool when i was a kid 
Sure. And, uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, freaking uh, didn't have a locking net, which we'll never know why, but it had a locking tubers. But anyway, I re- really liked the Keeler. It sounded better. It was more massive. It had, I, my hand wasn't getting uh, the way of the fine tuners when I would right. play, you know? And, um, the only problem with that guitar is if I played in drop D, it'd be fine because you don't need 24 frets where I got rid of that guitar because I need 24 frets. I don't play in a drop tuning. I just tune my whole thing down. Right. Anyway, so it was kind of like bummer to get rid of it, but I had to. But, and Mike, I already said, killers sound better in my opinion. They're more massive. I think they stay in tune better. I don't care what anybody tells me. I've had Floyds. So Floyds are good, but Floyds are also only as good as the guitar that they're on. Right. And that's, I guess that's what for anything, but, um, Kaler, like I said, less routing out of the body. And less no routing. snipping the fucking strings. No snipping the strings, dude. Absolutely. I mean, you still need an Allen wrench to take the, you know, for the locking sure. nut. But, you know, whatever. And um, they, like I said, the action, you can pull. The thing about a Floyd is back in the day, you couldn't raise the pitch. Right. But with a Kaler, you could. And you could pull up on the bar and have the strings go sharp. Like an old school, like people would, like Stevie Ray Vaughan would take the fender trim stick it in a vice and bend it over. So they had some upward travel. Kaler had that from the start. They didn't need, like Steve, I came by and routed the body out, but Steve, I also used Kaler's back in the day. So did Paul Gilbert. All those guys did. And I think the reason why that um, in a mass production, uh, uh, um, you know, making guitars, it, it costs more money to have Kaler because they cost more because there's more material. It's just a more solid thing. Sure. But uh, I like Killer because they seemed, in my opinion, to be more expressive. Um, they last longer. You know, you can get parts from Kaler that are, you know, upgrade, they're the top of the line parts where you don't have to go to a third party to get stuff like that. You know, more wood in the guitar is Killer. Um, they, and they're a good company. They, they uh, you know, they sent me a, a Kaler for that arrow that's going on the road with me. And I haven't, I took, had the Floyd removed. Somebody routed for the Kaler and bada bing, bada boom, we're in business. And what, you know, I had to put some, uh, so I got a new computer and I needed something to put in the tremolo cavity. So I just filled it in with some high density foam that my computer came in and we're off and running, man. And uh, they sound, like I said, can't stress it enough, they sound good. And hopefully we start seeing more guitars with those bridges on there because it's kind of a travesty that they're not more readily available. But I'll say this, me and my buddy were talking about this. Ibanez Low Pro Edge Tremolo. Uh-huh, yeah, everybody liked them because the fine tuners were in the back. Right. So not on the that, top. Exactly. And that is the idea that a Kaler always had, but with just the fulcrum style trim. So if you think about it, the low pro is the best of both worlds where you have the, if you like the Floyd uh, design, but it has the tuners in the back like a Kaler does. And that's one thing about Kaler too, is that you can have downward movement and upward movement, but you don't have to change how you're holding your or positioning your hand on the bridge when you're playing like if you want to you know alternate pick and then sweet pick or whatever it may be you can leave your hand in the same spot and that's pretty cool and that's and that's one i guess the biggest thing about it is it's all about uh playability for me anyway yeah and so kaler did they just reach out to you and say i want to give you some fucking shit or or how did no i reached i just reached out to them and said hey my name's matt this is what i got going on and i love your guys's product what do you think about you know for helping me uh you know endorsing me as an artist and they said no problem man it's we like what you're doing and you know, welcome to the team. And they sent me some stickers and a t-shirt and I asked them for a bridge and bada bing, bada, yep. Sent it right to me. So that was how I got involved with Kaler. Yeah. And what about EMG? Same thing. I went to talk to the A&R guy there, sent him an email. Hey, my name is Matt. This is what I'm up to. No, 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 no. 
please take your time to check out my music. Much appreciated. And they got back to me and said, awesome. Here's some pickups. Uh, you know, we'll release your videos and this and that. So that's where we're at now. <laughs> they released the video for the Obscurantist, the first one I put out, they did. And then I mistakenly removed it. So it went away like an idiot. But I guess, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was, yeah, anyway, it was a painful lesson. I, I didn't know it was cool. I mean, I just, I was, I put their logo in the video, but didn't know if it was cool with them. So I didn't know they had shared it either. They didn't let me know they did. Oh, so, I, okay. so I was like, oh no, you know, I don't want to step on anybody's toes or this and that. So I accidentally deleted the link to the video and they said, don't worry about it. We'll put another one out. So they'll have another, there'll be another video on EMG TV from my, from Monument of Velocity. And uh, they're going to share some, we're going to do like a live thing too with EMG. So they're really cool people and they're very tolerant of my, uh, Stupid mistake. <laughs> so are you, what are you rocking? Like the, uh, the 81 sixties or. Um, in the NV it's an 81, 81. Okay. And, and I always use like, I remember the first set of EMGs I had were an 81 in the bridge and an 87 in the neck. And I liked it, but I think the 81 in the neck, if you just bring it down a little bit, sounds awesome. I think it sounds better than the 87. I'm not saying 87s aren't good, but that's just my personal preference. Sure. And then in the arrow, EMG sent me uh, some bone breakers at Kirk Hammett pickups. Yeah. Let me tell you, dude, those are by far, in my opinion, that those are by far the best active pickups that are out there. They nice. sound just like 81s, but they're just like a little less trebly. So they have, they still cut, but they're not like as, they're not as over the top bright. And um, I used Fishman's for a while. And uh, some of the songs on the albums have Fishman uh, on the, in there. And I am glad that, I'm working with EMG because they make, in my opinion, the best pickups. Some people say they have a sound. Absolutely. They have a sound and I happen to like it. So that's what I'm saying on that one, man. Yeah, there you go. Well, whatever gear you're using, whatever your process is, clearly you're making an impact. I mean, you got something like 12,000 fucking listeners on your Spotify uh, monthly. I think that is. Uh, so you're, you got a lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, and then that's the thing. And I think that, you know, promoting the music and, uh, having so many other people involved and having other platforms like Kaler and EMG sharing it, you know, our positive grid has in the past, um, you know, all the good, a pleasant response from ESP. So, you know, and um, that's really helped me push forward. And I think that the, the one thing I've learned is the constant release release of material is the best thing you can do. Because if you like anybody out there listening, if you have music and should you release it, you don't know, release it, please do. You're, you're, you know, there's so many other platforms you know, you don't need a record label anymore. Distro Kid will do it, or even you know, Bandcamp, all these things. And I just signed a deal with Believe Music and uh, with uh, Blood Blast, which is Nuclear Blast. Yes. And for the instrumental stuff and the uh, cover albums, and uh, you know, they've been nothing but great. Um, you know, you, we were talking earlier about you know the cost of making music, and uh, you know, they're awesome people because they help with the licensing and all everything like that. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't cost you any money out of pocket. Where if you go through a like Distro Kid, it will, but you know, they they have a huge, they get, and that's another thing is they put you on playlists and stuff like that. You know, you and, got featured on awesome. some pretty badass nuclear blast playlists, um, which was really cool. That was cool. And that was really cool. And a lot of bands that I like and some bands I had never heard of. And I was totally honored to be a part of that. So thank you, Blood Blast. Uh, Bryce, you're the man, dude. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I, I, there's some good juju being thrown your way, but it's not like you know, please, it's, it's, it's not like <laughs> I, it's just I appreciate it. It's not like it's just falling on your lap. I mean, clearly this is a passion for you, and and you're you're constantly writing, you're constantly experimenting, you're 
you're paying tribute to the old gods, if you will, which Absolutely. is great. Um, and so let's pay tribute to one of those old gods right now. From Matt's album, aptly titled 80s with a clever spelling, check out this killer rendition of Ozzy Osbourne's Diary of a Madman.
got some stuff coming up here too then you've got um you're going out on tour uh here coming up pretty soon right yes i'm heading out with uh distinguisher extortionist and loser supporting rings of saturn and i am completely stoked to be a part of that and, and you're doing that awesome. uh as as a solo act then? yes okay. so yep. who's playing with you then like Just in your band my bo- <laughs> let's see my drummer is uh auto the drum machine okay <laughs> so i'm using back funny yeah <laughs> hey he doesn't want paid and he's never late and he's always on time so uh yeah, I'm using backing tracks, but um, I'm not going to bring my laptop. I have a setup I'm using to trigger everything and turn everything off and on. But um, so that's how I'm doing it. Uh, initially, I wanted to have a drummer, but uh, it just wasn't going to work out with the time constraints because the to get somebody up to speed was going to take take a while. Um, right. I, I was I asked Lord Marco if he was able to do it as he and I had worked on a song. Uh, he redid the drums on Step Into the Light, and it's on Sick Drummer, another awesome place. Thank you for sharing my music, Sick Drummer Magazine. And unfortunately we couldn't make it happen. But, uh, so this time around, I'm just going out there by myself, but the next tour that I do do, uh, which hopefully will be sometime not too far after this one, I'm going to have a band and we're working on that right now. There's a lot of moving pieces, but we're working on it. So for the cyber shred tour, it is literally you are front and center. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Have you, have you done shows in that format before? Okay. So it's not something you're not used to. No, no. And that's the thing is that even back in 2016 with Morbid, I remember doing um, a couple of like playing with National Zen. I opened for like Beyond Creation, uh, Villanath, Archaic, uh, freaking lots of different national acts. And it was a good learning experience because it's like it's like this. Like we talked about preparation before a show. The thing about playing the tracks is that they're consistent. If I consistently practice, if I consist have a consistent thing to work with, I can be on it with it it's like playing to a metronome you know some people want to say it's cheating to use backing tracks well let me tell you this how many people play to a metronome in front of people right you know and and do it by themselves you know that's and that's it's difficult but it can be done i'm not saying playing with people isn't better i would love to play with people but you know have a real band but you know using backing tracks does not cheapen anything it just makes it it's actually a little more difficult because you can't look over at the drum machine and go Hey, slow down. I'm having a bad day or I'm really nervous. It's like, nope, if you mess up, if you fuck up, it's all you. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know what? Bring it on (laughs) because that's I'm used to it. Well, and it's not like you're play syncing like at the fucking Super Bowl show or something. Remember that Red Hot Chili Peppers thing back in the day? Yeah, they they were. You know what was cool, though, is they went and said that that's what they had done. Yeah. You know, that, that saved their street cred. Dude, they owned it. They was Flea was like, yeah, dude, I didn't have nothing plugged in. There was no wireless plugged into my base. He's like, you can't jump around like that when your stuff's plugged in. And they just no. had fun with it. But there's other people that try and pull it off like they are playing. But that's, oh, man. yeah. So I would much rather totally have some killer backing tracks and just be able to focus on the person in the spotlight, which in this case is you, right? Cause you're, you're playing and it is, it is all you. And so if anything, you have more pressure because very rarely machinery fucks up, but nine times out of 10, if you program it, it's doing what you told it to do. Exactly. And it's exactly <laughs> right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's challenging, but it's manageable. Yeah. It's consistent. You know what I mean? I practice with it every day. I know, you know, and I wrote the music, so I have the luxury of knowing how it goes. In any spot where I know it's a little shaky, I've, you know, got to practice and I'm aware, you know, I know exactly every time when it's coming. And it's not going to be like 
hey everybody my name is matt uh, let me turn my laptop on it's that's not how it's going to be i'll be able to actually you know talk to the people talk to the audience you know and engage with them and stuff like that so it'll be a memorable experience it's not just going to be like i'm playing there jamming with a you know like a radio or anything like that and if i make mistakes you will definitely hear it and i'm Hopefully not going to make a lot of them, but there'll be a few. So keep your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not that I'm hoping for mistakes to happen, but it's kind of uh, like watching a car wreck, right? You kind of can't take your eyes off it. You're like, Did that no, dude just fuck that note up. What was that? Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, he's behind. Well, it happens. <laughs> it happens. And that's it. Yeah. The, the good news is by the time I get to our neck of the woods, I'll have it down really good. So that way there won't be any problems. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen your name pop up you know, kind of here in Washington a couple of times. And, but I don't think you've quite gotten up to the Seattle area, uh, at least um, any time recently. I played up in Spanaway. I played up in Everett oh, okay. uh, last year. And those were shows by myself. And I've also gone up there with Morbid a couple, a few times, but uh, yeah, so I have had the luxury and the experience of playing shows by myself in this format. So I know what to expect. It's just going to be on a bigger scale. So I'm, I'm not sweating it. Right. I mean, I'm I'm practicing, you know, I had the tiger style, but, you know, I think I got <laughs> the drunken monkey style. Right. Um, so what's the what's the date on that uh, on that tour? When does that start and where does it start? It starts on June 17th in Dallas, Texas. OK. Yeah. You're wow. Going to Dallas to kick it off then. So, yep. Well, I think Rings is from Texas now. I don't know if they live in Austin or Dallas, but I think they live in Austin. But uh, so we're going to go and see what I can remember off the top of my head. So we're going to go from uh, Dallas to San Antonio, to El Paso, to Mesa, to San Diego, to LA, to Fresno, to Sacramento, to Portland, to Seattle, to Boise, to Salt Lake City, or no, to Denver, and then to Lawrence, Kansas. And then we're going to St. Louis and up to Minneapolis, I think. So that's about as far as I can remember. That's either a fucking Johnny Cash song with all those names that you just rattled uh, off, or it's an episode dude. of Schoolhouse Rock. I can't tell, but <laughs> right, <laughs> that was a lot of geography right there. You know, and that's one, the, I guess, besides playing the music and getting to meet people and everything like that, I think one thing I'm looking forward to is sampling the local cuisine. Oh, yes. A connoisseur of barbecue. I'm going to get barbecue in Texas. I'm going to get barbecue in St. Louis. I'm going to get barbecue in North Carolina. And oh. I'm going to make a food diary. Yes. Well, I've uh, been to North Carolina several times now, uh, and it is one of my favorite places. And maybe someday I'll live there. But if you like barbecue... Nice. Carolinas are are definitely definitely legit. So uh yeah, I think that's awesome. So upcoming tour and now you also have uh we touched on this a little bit as well, upcoming album Monument of Velocity. Tell us about this. Monument of Velocity uh is a direct sequel if you will to Decrepit Shed. Decrepit Shed some of those songs are really really old. They could have had vocals on them. Some of those songs were written with the intent to have vocals. That was material from a band that I wrote long ago or songs that I had been sitting on for like, I don't know, 10 years, seven years, five years. And then we, we talked about that earlier about coronavirus and COVID and how it kind of inspired people to do things. And I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what? I've got all this music. If I don't just get it done now, it'll never be released. So I figured, you know what? The world's at a standstill. I need some way to deal with what's going on. Started recording music. But anyway, uh, Monument. Those songs were written with the intent not to have vocals. It's a much more guitar shred album, a throwback, if you will, to the classic shrapnel days. Um, not that it sounds from the 80s, but it's definitely in that vein of like, this is a guitar driven album. I mean, you could have vocals on some of these songs, especially the more technical ones with, you know, way technical death metal is nowadays. But uh, 
I don't want to sound old, <laughs> but uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, like there could be vocals on all of them. I don't care. But uh, you know, it's it was written with the intent of making it a guitar-driven album. And some of the riffs are old. Some of the songs are kind of old. There's a song on there. The title track, the beginning of that was a riff I wrote, you know, 15 years ago. So there's, I've always kind of had this thing where I could remember things that are, that are, uh, you know, once I latch onto them, I can't forget them. So it's kind of like that where some of these riffs are old, but it was, most of it was new and that was really cool. And uh, it's more orchestrated. The songs are more dynamic, but they're more aggressive. It's just more of a, like a direct sequel is in a, to Decrepit Shit as in a more mature, I guess, and more uh, focused uh, album. Like a spiritual successor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, your first single. How do you say that? Obscurantist? Yes. Um, oh, there you go. Uh, filmed in Oregon City, a, a, a place that I know quite well. Um, that was a cool, a cool video. Uh, did you, who filmed that for you? Uh, my buddy, Tony, okay. Tony Revere that did the vocals. Yeah. He's helped me on some stuff like that because he's had his experience doing it. And, uh, we just went to Oregon city. There were some cool places and, uh, some of the shots were paint or, uh, planned. Some of them weren't, but, uh, yeah, it turned out pretty good. And, um, I was totally proud of it. And I, dude, we had sat on that video for since fall of last year. Right because this album's been done for that long. I was just, you know, holding out to get a better deal. Yeah. To be honest. And, um, so, uh, you know, it's nice to, to have all this stuff start seeing the light of day, but uh, it turned out really good. And I was a little apprehensive at first about releasing it because I was like, man, is it good enough? You know, this and that, but I'm totally stoked with the reaction it's got from everyone. So thank you. And everybody that's, you know, watched it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's a great video. The song itself is killer. I, I definitely, appreciate the dynamics in your playing you know slow passages to bang to fast passages lots of of course arpeggios and sweeps and you know taps and all that kind of cool shit that we all like to show off and do Hell but yeah. there's also plenty of just really cool straight ahead chugging which uh i am a big fan of as well and you kind of cover all of those bases is that single indicative of what the whole album is like or what else do you have coming out on that um it's an accurate representation. I think that there's songs that are more aggressive and there are songs that are more melodic, but it's a, it's a good indicator. It's, it has a little bit of everything in there. That's, and that's why I chose it as the single was because it, I think it does reflect the entire album. And uh, that the album itself is coming out also in June, if I am correct to coincide with the start of your tour. Yes, sir. Yep. And, uh, happy circumstances fortunate that it was going to be able to be released that day so um you know if people want a copy i do have advanced copies of it but the digital release will be out on the 17th of june and i also have uh advanced copies and uh, excuse me physical copies of only what the light allows as well and that will be out on august 5th so i'm trying to release all this material i've had sitting for like the last year so hopefully this year i'll release another uh EP, my first EP will, has been re-recorded. It'll be out, and then the cover albums will start. The remasters will start coming out. So, and uh, only what the light allows. When are yes, we going to see that? August fifth. Okay, and that is—is uh, is that more covers or is that uh, instrumental stuff? Yeah, it's more covers, and I can I can read you the track listing. So we did Silent Night, Bottom Night. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, Hellion, Electric Eye. Nice. I will kill you. One of the best song titles ever. <laughs> Straight to the point. Straight effect. to the point, bitches. Yes, that's right. Yes, make no mistake. 
Millennium King, uh, Into the Pit, In War and Pieces, Aeon, Forgiveness Denied. That was a good one to track. Black Magic, Hellbent for Leather. Nice. Morning Palace, Angry Again, When Satan Rules His World, and Decency Defied. Well, uh, a bunch of family-friendly tracks coming Absolutely. your way. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Take D aside to church on Sunday morning. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be fun. <laughs> and then you go to brunch afterwards. It'll be a, it'll be a great time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> brunch they with might Glenn. Eat you. Yeah, <laughs> they might exactly. eat you. Uh well, you know, it's uh you know, it's always you never know what you're gonna get with with uh with Mr. Benton and whoever oh. is left of that band. I, I think it's it's a different band altogether now at this point. But uh Glenn is still Glenn, right? Right. Well the most important person is still there, Steve the drummer. So. Oh yeah, Steve Ashim. Uh yeah. the machine. He's a fucking beast. He writes all the songs too. <laughs> He's like Gene Hoagland exactly yeah <laughs> totally writes the guitar parts right so now you had sent me um a couple of of tracks and and one is uh, a new track off of monument that you haven't released yet did you want right. to tell me a little bit about that and tell tell the folks out there about this song yeah uh so the tunnel track is the um, title yep the uh the uh the beginning of it's old riff like i said i've had for a long time and then it just kind of took on a life of its own and it's uh very epic i mean for an instrumental guitar song it's kind of like uh kind of like uh rhyme of the ancient mariner if you will mm. where we're gonna ha there's movements and there's different stuff going on and uh it's got a it's almost got a pop music kind of vibe that's what my daughter said anyway when she's like i like that one because it sounds like lady gaga so if you like lady gaga <laughs> and shred guitar there you go man <laughs> We're actually hearing it on your ringtone right now. So Yeah, that, that's it. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, no, cool. I'm excited to check that out. I'm definitely excited to play it. So thanks for, for sending me that one in advance. I'm uh, looking forward to sharing that with the world. So that being said, Matt, we've talked about a ton of stuff. Is there anything else we're missing? What else do we need to uh, put out to the world today? Um, If everybody gets a chance, please check out my Spotify, my Apple Music. Uh, channel or my youtube channel twitch uh i'm on instagram facebook all my social media keep your eyes peeled for these albums that are coming out if you like classic tunes that you know and love we got some of those coming and we got some crazy shredding guitars coming too catch me on tour with rings of saturn and uh i appreciate everybody's support thank you for having me on and i really 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 appreciate it really do yeah and you uh you can get uh digital stuff you can get physical albums do you have yep. merch yet t-shirts all that kind yes. of shit yes i sure do i have t-shirts hats patches uh what else we got here cds lots of stuff if you check out my socials you'll see what i got and if you're interested in buying anything let me know and i really really appreciate it all right there you go ladies and gentlemen and the rest of you filthy filthy motherfuckers matt miller salem oregon thank you brother this has been awesome looking forward to hearing back from you when you get back from tour and you and i are definitely going to be staying in touch because we have a lot of shit to talk hell yeah man <laughs> all right thank you brother thank you and thanks as always to all of you for hanging out with me here in the wasteland and for supporting Misery Point Radio like the true cultists that you are. Extra special shout out to Brad Butcher for being a huge supporter, not only to Matt, but also for being a kick-ass listener and a friend to this show. 
Thanks, Brad. You fucking rule. Make sure you visit Matt Miller on the interwebs, buy all of his albums and merch, and check him out on tour soon in a town near you. And if you're so inclined, do the same for us here. Follow Misery Point Radio on all the government-regulated social media channels like the Book of Faces, the Instagrams, and even that super-secret Tweety Twatty place. Hey, we have merch, too. Buy some of that shit. Guaranteed to get you followed by shadowy dark web agents. But alas, our time today is at an end, so before we disappear into the shadows, here's one more song to keep you company in the darkness. This is the title track off of Matt's upcoming album due out in just a few short weeks. Here is Monument of Velocity. KFMP out. KFMP out.